Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's journey through Paul's masterclass on Christianity to the Ephesians will focus squarely on the hope of resurrection. Paul's prayer for the church is for them to realize God's strength in their lives as evidenced through the Holy Spirit by their hope in what God has called them to. Thanks for listening today as we look to see Jesus high and lifted up. Uh, when I was uh, much younger, just received my uh, driver's license around age 16, I had opportunity to go to one of my friend's houses that I'd, I'd never been to before. Uh, the reason why a couple of the, uh, groups of us from school were going to be going over to his house is because his dad had just bought him brand new mini bikes. Do you guys know what a mini bike is? It's like a dirt bike, but slower. But that's all right. Um, so uh, the, the few of us all um, got, got in our vehicles and went on uh, to follow my buddy down the road. This was through Spread Eagle. And at one point, uh, he got onto a dirt road. And in all of our excitement to follow him, and what I imagined was his excitement to show us his new toys, he got a little far ahead. And if you've ever been on a dirt road going a little fast, you'll notice you, you, you put up a, quite a bit of dust. And it turned out that I... I lost track where, where he was. I mean, here I was, never been to his house before. I'm trying to follow best I can, um, and he's gone. Don't know where he is. But I was going to get to those mini bikes. I was going to find a way. And uh, sure enough, slowly uh, made my way, creeping down each driveway, looking to see if he was there. Eventually turned and picked a 50-50 turn, made the right turn, and caught up to him um, at his place because I'd never been there before. And the reason I share this story with you is because I'm sure you could find an example in your life of when you have been lost as to when you have not known the right way to go, but there was something motivating you to continue going. There was something, an, an idealistic um, opportunity, um, something that you placed your hope and excitement in that kept you forging ahead. I'm going to find what I'm looking for, and that's what enables you to move forward in following one, even if you feel like you're a little left behind. Uh, we are in a series here that I've entitled uh, A Master Class on Christianity as we study through the book of Ephesians. Uh, we talked about last week how Paul writes this letter as a cir- circular letter traveling not to any one specific church. But as he sits in jail, he is going to be recounting the wonders given to the church through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because it is the resurrection that has changed everything. And so here we have in our Bibles the copy from Ephesus. However, largely this was meant to be a letter that would travel all around to all the churches, teaching us those fundamentals, those ABCs, if you will, about what it means to be a Christian. So I'm excited once more for us to go through it today. And I've entitled this message as we move through the end of chapter one, A New Hope. Some of you, when I say that, are already hearing the soundtrack to Star Wars in your mind, waiting for my next slide to be yellow letters that are scrolling across the screen. No, not that kind of new hope. It's a different new hope. Uh, The resurrection of Jesus Christ is something that was taught and foretold in the Old Testament. And yet so many misunderstood, so many failed to see it. It was with the onset of an empty tomb that the disciples who had once scattered now were rejuvenated with a courage that would lead them ultimately to a martyr's death. Why? Because they no longer feared death. 
Because Jesus is alive. And so as this has been the story for the apostles, and this for us now uh, recounting at the beginning of this encyclical letter on the fundamentals of the faith, we today are going to see the full expression of a realized hope. A hope that's no longer simply foretold in the Old Testament, but now a new hope, a reality, a truth. Something to which all Christians end up linking the direction of their lives to, which then characterizes how they live. Think with me on that for a moment. Isn't it our hopes that then determine how we live, that determine our behavior, that determine our attitude and our actions? Think of those things that you are looking forward to. It's bow season starting in Wisconsin yesterday. Uh, how about Michigan? When, when's bow season start? See? See? They knew it just like that. Why? Yep, because we're, we're starting to do what for hunters? You're starting to gather your camo together, right? Starting to find some bottles of doe pee, right, to put all over your shoes, right? right? You're getting the weapons. That, your, your actions, your behaviors, they're actually being characterized by what you are looking forward to, what you're hoping for. Think of when you were small, or maybe your grandchildren or children around Christmas time or birthdays, right? Can't, can't you see it? Don't, don't you recognize how easy it is to know that which we are excited about? That which is coming up on the horizon suddenly changes our demeanor. It changes our attitude so that we live and act in a unique fashion. That's exactly why on a fundamental level, when we talk about what does it mean to be a Christian, we will find out from the Apostle Paul that it requires you anchoring yourself to a hope. And it's that hope that will then change everything. It will change how you live. It will change what you value. It will change how you characterize your life. And so with that as a backdrop this morning, we are going to be reading through Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, finishing up uh, the chapter here. I want to give as just precursor before we read through it, um, that last Sunday's big deal was all about how the resurrection started these little churches that were gathering, that, that were gathering together. Paul then puts together this letter to inform them, uh, as we've already discussed this morning. Um, there is, however, so much in this passage. There is so much that many times uh, Christians will read it and you'll miss it. You'll miss it. And I want to give a warning here as we go through it. Because this little passage is filled which, with what sounds like very Christian terminology. And for many of us, we just don't use words like this often enough. And so we kind of feel like we get a little lost in the fog of really trying to grapple with what was Paul intending us to understand what was he wanting the church to really capture from this so that, that's my way of just announcing to you remember this is a master class it is that, that's exactly what it is that Paul has endeavored to offer to the churches not, not just a here's the cookies on the bottom shelf but no come and learn come and be educated so that you might characterize your life and pattern it in conformity to Jesus Christ if you're looking for a little light fluffy sermon this morning Glenn, where, where's the pillow, right? They, they, they can, like, this, this is not for you. This is going to take a little bit of effort today. Uh, because if you've ever had to sit through a class, right, you know, you only get out of it what you would. Willing to put into it. And I want to just submit to you this morning. Uh, that has been one thing I've discovered as reading through Ephesians 1, especially this passage, that as we talk through these very Christian terms, sometimes 
It might feel a little foggy. Don't turn your brain off, folks. Don't, don't check out. Let's track through it together and see if we can uh, endeavor to find exactly what it is the Apostle Paul is saying to the church. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. The Apostle Paul writes, For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, that every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him Who fills everything in every way. All right. This is also for me a little bit like a really, really, really good buffet. Do you ever guys go to a buffet? Right? Some of you thinking of lunch already. Thinking of a buffet, right? If you've ever been to a really good one, what invariably ends up happening to me is that I will fill up, you know, mashed potatoes on this side and just a little bit green beans because I know my mom is there. So you got to put some green beans in there. So you, you get... They got like three kinds of chicken. So you get the baked chicken, you get the fried chicken, you get all, and pretty soon, you know what happens to your plate? You run out of room. And so what you do is you start stacking, folks. That's the key to this. You, you take the rolls and you just, and, and that, but you can't fit it all. You can't fit it all. That, that's what we're going to have to run into this morning as well. So we're going we're gonna to aim for the meat and the potatoes. I just want you to know there's so much in this little passage. It is so uh, incredibly rich and valuable for the church to learn that I want to make sure that we're catching everything that we can in here. The very first thing that I want us to do is be able to find the center of Paul's prayer. If you notice, if you look back in verse 15, he says, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, your love for the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks and remembering you in all my what? prayers. Paul is praying for the church. Now, practically, that was an encouragement for the folks in Ephesus. This is extended, though, to all of those churches that Paul has interaction with, to to be, in a sense, an under-shepherd over as an apostle. In fact, in a very real way, it's a prayer for you. Passed down through the ages of time that the apostle Paul would be desiring something from God for you today. I want you to see the center of it. And I have it here in your notes for you. Paul's prayer request is for the dimensionality of the resurrection. That is his prayer request. And there's three ways in which he's going to express this in the short passage that we read. He's going to talk about the dimensionality of the resurrection of Jesus past, present, and future. It's actually slightly reversed uh, in, in what we have in the text. It's past 
future and present. That's the order that it's given to us. Um, I, I, in fact, I want to highlight it uh, immediately here for you. If you look back with me into verse 18, you'll see the beginning of it. He says, I pray also uh, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I actually need to just take a look at my notes for a minute. Um, we'll, we'll, let's, cover this. let's cover this right now. Uh, if your NIV, if you have that in front of you, is reading similarly to mine, there's, I believe there's a slight translation uh, option here that, that's better for what Paul intended. Uh, my text says he prays also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Um, the verb that's being used there is a passive participle, and I think it's attached to the wrong noun. Um, I actually think that the better translation that the Apostle Paul intended would read, having your eyes, uh, the eyes of your heart enlightened. Um, there, there's part of, part of a reason I believe that is the appropriate translation, that it's a perfect participle, means that this is not something that we're wishing to have happen. This is actually something that has happened. You guys still with me this morning? I, I'm, I'm taking a little pause here as we're moving forward, just because I want to clear this up because it's dealing with these three issues. If you are a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the eyes of your heart now see. Remember we sang that this morning? Open the eyes of my heart. If you're a Christian, that has happened for you. But part of the reason that I think this is exactly the way in which Paul intends us to understand a perfect participle is because as he begins this prayer in chapter 1, don't let me lose you here, he begins it in chapter 1, he's going to trace the single thought of a prayer for the dimensionality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ all the way through chapter 3. You have what begins right here, bookended all the way back in chapter 3. And I want us to look at that for just a moment. So hold your spot in chapter 1. Turn the page over to chapter 3. And you'll notice in verse 14, you have the end of his prayer. Now, we've got a lot to say about the middle of the sandwich. All right? We've got a lot to say of what's going on in chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. We're going we're gonna to get through all that as we work through these weeks together. But look with me just real briefly in chapter 3, verse 14. Watch how what Paul prays here is the exact same thing that he prayed in chapter 1 with just a slight little addition to which we'll pick up when we study the inside of the sandwich in a few weeks. Verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom... His whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. By the way, that's a clue as to the little, the new piece there. He's going to be talking about the family as we move forward. Let's pick it up in 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you and these next two words in your Bible are perfect participles. You being rooted and established in love. How, how, how could that be? How, how are we rooted and established in love? Why? Well, because I'm in Christ. The, the love of God has already been given to me such that I, I don't no longer trust in myself. I've placed all of my trust in Jesus. Do you know what that does for me? Perfect Perfect tense means something that happened in the past that has consequences forever. That's what a perfect tense is. And so here, I and you as Christians, the folks in Ephesus as Christians, by virtue of their faith, the Apostle Paul can write to them, these are, these are perfect verbs in the sense that it's happened in the past and has a continuing influence right now in your life. You, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, are rooted. You are firmly established 
in God's love. Verse 18 now comes the subjunctive of the prayer. May have power together with all the saints. There's another clue for what he talks about in the middle. To grasp how wide and long, how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can all ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Um, As I looked and studied these two passages, I, I compared them with one another. And rather than give this to you in your notes, I just wanted to show you as a slide how you can connect almost every nuance from his prayer in chapter 1 to something that gets repeated in chapter 3. That was a really long introduction for us to look at the past, future, and present dimensionality of the resurrection. So go back with me into chapter 1. Kind of feels like a class right now to some of you, doesn't it? You guys are doing great. Hold on with me here, okay? Um, Back in chapter 1, he says, if we get that perfect participle correct, because your eyes have been, the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, in order that you may, here's the first one, know the hope to which he has called you. That verb called. What's the tense? Past, present, or future? Called. It's past tense. There has been a work in the past that God has achieved, accomplished, that he has set, established, that he has called you to. It's a hope. I don't want you to lose the idea of a, of a hope. And specifically here, what Paul is referring to, this hope is the hope of the monk-like dimensionality of the resurrection of Jesus. So everybody good with the past tense? Called to a hope. Let's look at the second one. Um, the riches of his, of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What, when do you get an inheritance? You're, you're thinking through it, right? Yeah, not right now. An inheritance is something that is set for you when? It's future. So th- what this means for us, the Apostle Paul trying to convince the church that there is something specific in the hope of resurrection to which you are looking forward to. It's called here, this is amazing, the glorious inheritance in the saints. And then we have a present tense in verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. By the way, I I skipped the word riches of his glorious inheritance. That's that's part of the buffet. There's there's just so much that we're just not going to be able to cover it all this morning. There's so much riches there. But the incomparably great power is for when. When do you need power, Christian? You need it in the future? And everybody's like, yeah, need it in the future. Would like to have it when? Right now. Here's some good news. The resurrection of Jesus Christ offers you this power right now for whatever you're facing in life. And so here's what I want you to understand. Even though we read through this passage and there's a lot packed into it, What is the single concept that Paul's trying to convince the church of? That there's something that has happened in the resurrection of Jesus that's called you in the past, that you look forward to in the future, and that is presently applicable to give you strength for right now, for today, for whatever it is that you face. That's what we're talking about. And so this becomes for the church a new hope as they look forward. So a couple observations as we are working through this. Number one, the hope of resurrection is the central hope 
of Christianity. I want to make sure you realize that as we read through this, uh, Paul did not pray for them to get a job promotion. He didn't pray for them to shoot the 30-point buck. He didn't pray for them to have their car fixed. Now, you and I, do you know what we do? We live in a world where we are so bombarded with foreign hopes, trivial hopes, these little exchange the hope of the resurrection for this little treasure hope that we can play with right here and right now. It's not, that's not the message of our faith. The, the message of our faith teaches us that we are not to put all of our investment on this side of eternity. For this side of eternity is temporary. You're a citizen of heaven. That's what the Bible says. Not a citizen of right here. So we've got to be very careful with this. As, as, I, uh, as I see that this is the center of the Christian hope, resurrection, um, I decided to flip through the pages of the New Testament and look at all the passages that, that talk about resurrection and the return of Jesus. And I, I thought, I'll just list up here a few. Now, I ran out of time to cover all of them. This is not exhaustive. This is, these are just the ones that jumped out to me. That the resurrection, this isn't the resurrection of Jesus, by the way. We're talking here of the resurrection promised to you. The resurrection to which will happen on the day of Jesus' return when the dead are raised. What does that include? Well, it includes an immortal body. A body that no longer suffers under the perishability of this world and dimension. Uh, It includes a city where God lives. You'll get to dwell with him. It includes the recreation of the whole earth. It includes a victory of righteousness. Uh, what, what that means is you'll no longer have this battle, this struggle with sin. Anyone struggle with sin? Bunch of liars in church. Raise your hands. That's right. Yes, we, uh, the struggle with sin, that's a problem now. It won't be at the resurrection. You will have a victory of righteousness that's offered to you. Then um, it will be the eternal presence with Jesus. You you will be living in full communion, face-to-face with your Savior for all of eternity. Uh, The Apostle Paul calls it a a crown of righteousness is given to you. So the rewards of a life that's lived to glorify God right now will be rewarded and recognized in all of eternity. That That will increase your intimacy to worship God. And a unified people of God, a people of God from every tribe, nation, and kingdom will be brought together with all of its wonderful, multifaceted diversity to sing praises. Like, all of that happens when? At resurrection. That's our hope. The central hope of Christianity is the resurrection. Number two, the hope of the resurrection is assured. I want to make sure that you understand as we use the word hope, we're not using it as as it is so often used at the casino. Just clear that up in church. I want to make sure nobody was confused on that. Right? So if if you're at the casino, what do you hope for? I hope I win, right? You're, you're hoping for something that has no assurance. You don't know. That's why you hope. Uh, what, what, what NFL team is playing today? Don't answer that. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. What, what are you hoping for? Well, yeah, you're hoping for something that is not assured to you. Hear me. That is not what the Bible means when it uses the word hope. The hope that you are offered to in the scriptures is an assured hope. It's a promised, it's a guaranteed Hope, And if you look with me back in the text, you'll see that as these three dimensions are mentioned in verses 18 and 19, look with me here in the middle of 19. The Apostle Paul says that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted. It's a Greek word, energizo. It's where we get the English word energy from. That he exerted in Christ when he what? Raised him from the dead. 
the, the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact. It's, it is what has changed the entire world. The, the reason that you live with all of the little accoutrements of Western civil, civilization have largely become because of this transformation of the earth because of the resurrection. What year is it today? 2000? Why do we count like that? Why, why does the entire earth count upon years from up to 2000? Because what happened? All the way back then, God sent his son, born, was a baby in a manger, and this one lived a righteous life and then died and what? Rose again. So we all collectively decided we're going to start counting time according to that. It's an incredible, incredible reality. This is not a hope that you hope for. This is a hope that is assured. Church, I want you to find great, uh, great hope in that today. Thirdly, the hope of resurrection begins on earth. Now, at this point, um, I have great friends of mine who uh, worship in some other uh, particular Christian traditions that will struggle with this. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to stay with the text. All right, but what this means is that when the Bible will speak of resurrection, you have Jesus's resurrection. But then for you as the Christian, there are actually two resurrections that the Bible speaks of. Uh, the word resurrection in the Bible is uh, just a word that means to, to stand again, like, like to, to rise up. You know, like when the judge comes and the bailiff says all. Yeah, that's, that's the idea. That's the word. It means, it means to stand up or to rise. The Bible speaks that you as a Christian, you actually have two resurrections. You have the one that we're waiting for, the one of assured promised hope to have a physical body that is no longer going to undergo corruption. Right? All those who have died in Christ, their bodies right now are in the grave. Their spirits are with the Lord, and they are awaiting the resurrection of their physical bodies. We're all on the same page with that. But there's a resurrection that's given to you before that, and it is a resurrection of your spirit. The Bible teaches us that we are dead in our transgressions and sins, but God makes us alive again. That new life that comes according to God's design is a kind of spiritual resurrection that's afforded to the believer. It's the first part, and it begins where? In heaven or on? It begins now. It begins now. As I think through um, the language used here, that the eyes of your heart having been opened, it occurs to me when I go out into the public sphere, we're, we are at a football game, um, and I just saw a bunch of young people, and I heard what they were talking about, and it was like, they're just blind. Like, the things that they find excitement about, the things that they are investing themselves in, I mean, it's all trash. It's all rubbish. And I, and I look at them playing off of one another and showing just lewd pictures on their devices and coarse joking that's going on, and I just can't help but think. They're just, they're just blind. Their, their eyes are still closed to the truth of God. And I was like that at one point. Do you, do you remember those days? Do you remember before you really had the eyes of your heart opened? But hasn't everything changed now? Isn't it such that now that the Spirit of God has awakened you to life in your heart? That you can no longer close them again? And even if you try, it's like, oh, I just can't do it. I mean, I see now. My eyes are open. I'm alive. I'm awake in Jesus. 
I want to show you in the word of God where this occurs. The book of Colossians, first uh, chapter two, verse 13, and then three, one. Paul says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcis- uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. What's that called to be made alive when you're dead? It's called resurrection. He forgave us all our sins. That's how he did it. And then in chapter three, he says, since then you have been raised with Christ. That's the word we use for resurrection. Now, that hasn't happened physically for us, right? That's the hope to which we're still waiting, a physical resurrection of a new body. But there's another part of the resurrection for a Christian, and it's a spiritual renewal. It's a spiritual rebirth. And it begins right now. One more verse on this. And we'll get to it in in probably next week, Ephesians 2. Paul says, but because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved, and God raised us. He resurrected us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenlies. I want you to know that as we think about the central hope of Christianity, resurrection is something that you have a dual share in. You have a future-looking hope that's characterized as riches of the inheritance of the saints. Future. Any of you looking forward to a new body? Any amens today on that one? Right? Yeah. Yeah, just... Just do a little hard work and you'd be like, oh, yeah, I need a new body. Yep. You, have a, you have a resurrection granted to you right now. And it's a rebirth of your spirit that your eyes would be opened. I want you to see the condition on it, though. If you look with me back in the text, after we have the, the triad of multiplicity here in verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who, did you find it? Who what? Who believe. Who believe. There it is. There's that little condition that will open your eyes so that you will experience new life, not just way down the road someday, but that you can have new life right here, right now. All right, fourthly, the hope of resurrection is focused on Jesus. It almost feels like I don't need to put this in there, but... I totally need to make this an observation that we hold to because you and I, we will accidentally think selfishly. Do you know why we think selfishly? Because we are sinners. We're really good at thinking this way. You will begin to think about, ooh, I get a resurrected body. Ooh, I get all these. These are for who? For me. That's what we think. Uh, Look with me back into the text real quick because there's a few words that are used here. Um, In fact, verse 17, he says, And I ask that the Lord... Of our, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's Jesus. That you may know Jesus better. All the dimensionality that's offered to you in, in your hope of resurrection is all centering around who? It's all around Jesus. In fact, if you look at all three of them, you'll see the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his Glorious inheritance in the saints. And verse 19, his incomparably great power. In our Bibles, uh, we have one book in particular where we have the greatest teaching on the resurrection. It's in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The most uh, expansive and exhaustive teaching that we have on the resurrection is found in 1 Corinthians 15. I just have the end of it up here. I want, I want to read to you to make sure that we don't accidentally think uh, egocentrically on this, that we miss the point of the resurrection. Paul writes, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. 
When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Well, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory. Except it doesn't end there. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see how easy it is to think that it's all about us? He gives us the victory. Hallelujah. Woo! Everybody with me? Come on. Are we, we, we've accidentally changed the message of the gospel into thinking it's, it's all about us. It's not. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I want to make sure that we, we hold on to that. The hope of the resurrection is always focused on Jesus. If you get that wrong, you're going to accidentally enjoy some of the blessings, but you're going to miss the main one. Because the main blessing is is glorifying and worshiping God. Fifthly, the hope of the resurrection is matched only by the ascension of Jesus. Now, when I I ran across this, because again, it's easy to miss things in this passage. This kind of ruined my whole sermon on it, right? I, I had to go back and I had to say, now what is Paul trying to say here? Go back with me. Look in the text in verse 20. Remember, the hope that we're called to is resurrection. But verse 20 says, Which he exerted in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. And, did you see this? There's two things going on. There's something that God is delivering to us that is in the hope of the promised resurrection. But there's another component to it. And it's not the resurrection of Jesus. It's the ascension of Jesus. Now, this is the point in the buffet where we just don't have space. We just don't have room to fully dive the depths as to why this is so critical and important. I'm going to try to touch on it just as briefly as I can, uh, that you and I can think through why is it critical that Jesus had to ascend? And what does Jesus' ascension to the right hand of God afford to you and I today? I want you to hold on to that thought because we're going we're to come and conclude here in just a minute. Lastly, the hope of the resurrection is the anchor of our faith in Jesus and our love for one another. Um, I've given you a lot of really important observations from this text. This might be the most important one. The reason why this is the most important one is because this is the one more than any other that moves us to how we live. Remember, what you hope for will characterize your behavior. What you look forward to will determine how you think. And if you look with me back into the text in verse 15, Paul starts his whole... um, dimensionality of our hope with highlighting their faith and their love. Look with me in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks to you. Uh, Thanks for you. It is the resurrection of Jesus that anchors your faith. There is nothing that you are going to face in this life that God will not solve through resurrection. It is the anchor because it has has occurred. It's a historical reality and a fact in Jesus. And it's a promise uh, declared by God who cannot lie that you yourselves will one day receive a resurrection. That is an anchor for our faith. But more than that, It is also the motivation that then affords us the ability to love one another and to serve one another. Because be honest, right? Oh, it's super easy to love each other, right? Super easy. Never had a problem with that. I love everybody. Everybody loves me. (laughs) 
right? Th- th- think of those moments of people in your life who you're just like, if I give you a sandwich, I'll give you one. Right? There's people in your life who you are going to be tempted to gossip about, demonize in your mind, try to look to why I'm actually better than they are. There are going to be folks who come across, not just outside the church, but in the church, to which the devil will want to use the spurned nature of your sin depravity to divide us. And Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus comes and not only tells us and teaches us and models for us, he gives us the ability. He gives us the power to do this. All right, are you guys still tracking with me on this? These, are, these I think, are really critical observations from this text, but they move us to what I believe is a single conclusion. Here it is. By Jesus' resurrection and ascension, God has strengthened us with power for our present transformation through a hope of a future transformation. It's kind of a long sentence, but I I think what it is is exactly what we're seeing in this text. There's two things that God did for us. Um, Death is going to be a bummer for everybody, right? There's no way around it, right? Death is real. God, God fixed it. God solved it. God solved death in the resurrection through Jesus. That's now afforded to you. The second big bummer that you have is that you're called to love your enemies. That's a tough ask. In fact, it's impossible. You can't do it. You can't do it. But who can? God can. And so what God does is he sends his Holy Spirit to empower you. It is the Spirit of God that has now garnered for us a supernatural ability. You guys are like, have superpowers. <laughs> you do. They, they're supernatural. They don't come naturally. They come from God. And it's not the power to fly or like laser eyes, right? You're, the power that you have is to love those who hate you and to forgive people who have sinned against you. That is a phenomenal ability. It is a power that is only afforded to you. Hear, hear me now because I'm picking up the pieces we sent down on the buffet table before. Right? We're going back for seconds now. You with me? He's afforded you this ability by the ascension of Jesus. Jesus tells his disciples, it's good that I go away. For if I go, I will send you the paraclete, the comforter, the counselor. He'll send you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is this helper to come and convict your heart of sin. And then to guide you and to teach you into all truth. You will be given this ability as Jesus ascends. And here's, here's just a metaphor that I want to give to you. It's By the way, this is a... This is a heretical metaphor, so be careful with this one. I still think it works for what I'm trying to say, though. It's like Jesus in ascending from earth back to heaven is like a radio tower. right? If you were with somebody and you were just like if Phil and I were just talking, like I could give Phil instruction, but he's only going to hear instruction from me if we're together. That was like Jesus on earth. By Jesus' ascension, it's almost like I give Phil a radio and I go over to the transmitter station and now I can speak to Phil where? Anywhere. Not only can I speak to Phil, but I can speak I can speak to anybody who has a what? Who has a radio to tune in. Now the reason why I want you to be careful with that is and this is just as an aside on that metaphor, is that the Holy Spirit is not a force like a radio wave. The Holy Spirit is a person who you can offend. He's the third person of the Trinity. The only reason why it's sometimes harder for us to think of the Holy Spirit as a person is because he doesn't have a name like Bill. 
<laughs> right? You, like we talk to Jesus as a person, Jesus, right? That's easy. But we refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit. And so it's just a little harder for us sometimes to think of him as a person. I want you to know absolutely what he is. But the way in which God has delivered for us this power is because of Jesus' ascension. Don't, don't miss what Paul gives the church here. There's two things that were done. The resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. They give you power for present transformation. There's, there's no excuse for the Christian to be like, you know, I'm, I just, this is the way we've always done it. I'm not willing to change. Nuh-uh. No, that's, that's not the faith you've been given. That's not, you're trying to tell me the power of God is not strong enough to change you? This, this is the power that God gave in the raising of Jesus from the dead and ascending him. That's the same power afforded to you for a present transformation as you place your hope in the future transformation. Are you tracking with me on this? Everybody's kind of with me? All right, so what do we do with this today? How, how can we live this out as we go from this place? Number one is this. First of all, I want you to know that God's desire for you is, is to be strengthened in your Christian walk by following Jesus. I, I was excited to go follow my buddy to go play with the, the new uh, mini bikes right, that, that he got at, at his house. Like That's what had me motivated to follow. Well, what motivates you to follow? Jesus. Well, it should be your hope in resurrection. Because Jesus went through death and he raised again. In fact, he went through a persecuted death. Well, what about you? Could you die for your faith? Jesus did. Hear me. You'll have no problem with that if you're following who? If you're following Jesus, you'll have no problem with that. The trouble is in this world, it's like a dusty road. That's the problem. You, you, you're going to have to keep up at times. In fact, there's times where because of this life, you're going to be like, shoot, where did Jesus go? <sighs> Number one, I'd say, come back to church. <laughs> Start here. You, you, you pick up the trail again right here. Or maybe go and find his word and take some time out from whatever you're doing and open his word. But wherever you begin to try to get back on that road, here's where it starts. It starts by having your eyes open. And so you must believe. That's it. There, there's no following. By the way, there's no following anybody like this, right? Okay, uh, Marco. <laughs> Come on, Marco. You, you, you get the idea? Like this, it won't work. If you have, if you're blind because the eyes of your heart are still invested in the temporary junk of this world where we are not to place our hope. You will be blinded. And so here in the text, I want to show you again, verse 19, this power is available for us who believe. By believe, we don't mean believe like the demons. Clearly, they're smarter than a lot of people even. They're, they're, they know there's a God. And they tremble. Because they know the power of this God. These arrogant humans, they don't even care. They think they're God. And so we're not talking about an intellectual ascent that you just know there's a God. Of course there's a God. When we say believe, we mean transfer the trust of your life, the authority of your life by saying, I'm not in charge. The man who hang on that cross and raised from the dead and has ascended, he is in charge of my life. I call that person my Lord. He's the king. What, what was the, the quiz time from last Sunday? Do you remember the main idea? What was it that we're told? We have a new what? That's it. We have a new head. This new head is who? The person of Jesus Christ. He is my head, which means I follow him. I feel like I'm being preachy. You know, it's like when a preacher just starts repeating himself. I feel like I'm doing that a little bit right now. 
That's what it means to believe. So if you here today are like, I'm there, I believe. We'll move on to two. But if that's new for you, if maybe this is a, a moment in your life where you're like, you know, I'm, I've been on the fence and um, I like to go to church, but I'm really not ready to transfer my whole life and trust and authority over to him. Let me just say, I, I want to pray for you today. The Apostle Paul is praying for you uh, that you would come to know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of an inheritance for all the sons and daughters that, that truly come through Jesus. And for right now, transformative power that's available for you if you believe. All right, for those of us who do, here it is. You need to tune in. You need to get the radio of your spirit, the radio of your heart. Like your eyes are open, but you need to tune that radio. Remember those old radios, the kind that had dials? I'm preaching to the choir here. We don't. Remember you're turning in the dial, right? Sometimes you get it just right. Your, Your life needs to do that with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is that broadcast of the will of God that's coming from heaven to whoever will listen. To whoever tune their heart in order that you will be led by the Spirit. Because that's how you follow. That's how you follow. Now, do you know what would have been really helpful for me as I was uh, trying to follow my buddy down the dirt road to his house? If I had a GPS. That would have been really helpful. That would have given me the directions right there, right where I was. Listen, that's what God's done for you. God, God has given you the instructions. God has given you the map, the directions through the Holy Spirit that you and I would learn to tune in. And I just want to go through very quickly uh, some, some diagnostic questions for you to know. How am I doing that? Like, how, how really am I doing by tuning into the Spirit or not? The first question I want to ask you is this. Are my hopes focused on earth or on heaven? When, when I think of what am I hoping for that's changing my life and how I speak and talk and act and treat my neighbor, is that an earthly hope? Or is it a heavenly hope? This from Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. I love that psalm. Jesus puts it this way. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and vermin don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. And so this is my first question. Just think through the things that you get excited about. Those hopes, are they anchored in earth? Or are they anchored, like we have seen this morning, in the heavenlies where Jesus is ruling and reigning. Second question, um, is my mind being transformed by love in what I love and how I love? There's a lot of love going on in that question. Let me just make sure that you understand, even from Glenn's message this morning with the kids, that the only reason that you have a relationship with God is because of the love of God. In fact, don't let me lose you here. Hold your spot here. Go go to chapter three one more time. Because remember, this is the same prayer. Paul just expands it a little bit further in chapter three. Look what he says in verse... 18, that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the what? Is the love of Christ. And that you may know this love that surpasses knowledge. Just let's think about that for a minute. To know something that's unknowable. (laughs) What? (laughs) Like you're going to know something that nobody can know? Here's how you do that. You have to change your mind. You have to change how you think. That's the idea. You don't know this because you think earthly. 
But if you learn to transform your mind according to God's love, you can know it. Which is why I have this listed up here. Is my mind being transformed by love? Your your whole life will be changed. You really will. Your whole life will be changed as you come to understand the love of God. And what it will do is it it will have a dual purpose. You will then change what you love and it will change how you love others. Uh, This verse from 2 Corinthians. Paul says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ this way. Have you ever judged your neighbor? Have you ever judged your brother or sister? Right? Does God judge you? Or has he forgiven you? By the way, God's justice and judgment is right about you, and yet he still forgives And it's only when you know that love that you as well will be transformed. So you don't look at people that way. I don't look at people from a worldly point of view. Am I preaching to the church this morning? You guys with me on these? Number three, uh, do I regularly rely on the Spirit's power for change in my life? I love this verse from Philippians. Paul says, my aim is to know Christ, to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his, ooh, share in his sufferings. Uh, I don't know if I want to sign up for that one. No? Go, go with it a little further. And to become like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. If you've placed your central hope in resurrection, hear me, death is not a problem. <laughs> There's nothing that you will fear on this earth in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Because your central hope is resurrection. And so how are you relying on the Spirit's power to make sure that you are changed right now presently? And by the way, I want to say that primarily what I'm referring to here is being able to love those who don't love you. And many times what that will look like is that you will be willing to suffer. To be willing to suffer means you have to have a power source that enables you to do it. Thank goodness Jesus ascended that the Spirit of God allows us to do that. Lastly is this, do my actions show that I'm seeking to know Jesus more? Again, once more in Philippians, Paul says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. For the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth, here it is, of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, my King, my head. For whose sake I've lost all things and I consider them garbage that I can just gain Christ. Do my actions show that I'm seeking to know Jesus more? I want you to know, church, that that which you hope for, it will change how you live and act. Book of Hebrews chapter one says, hope is being sure of, uh, or faith, sorry, some of you caught me on that. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. And so for you, the expression of your faith in Jesus is that confident, expectant hope that God is strengthening you by his spirit for a present transformation because we're looking forward to a future one. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening so well this morning. Let's pray together.